You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. Entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Thunderbirds is a British science fiction television series created by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, filmed by their production company, AP Films, and distributed by ITC Entertainment. It was produced between 1964 and 1966 using a form of electronic marionette puppet dubbed Super Marionation, combined with scale model special effects sequences. Two series were filmed comprising a total of 32 episodes. Production ceased after Lou Grade, the Anderson's financial backer, failed in his efforts to sell the program to American network television. In the mid-2060s is the time frame that The Thunderbirds is set in. The Thunderbirds is a follow-up to the earlier Supermarionation production Four Feather Falls, Supercar, Fireball XL5, and Stingray. It follows the exploits of International Rescue, a life-saving organization equipped with technologically advanced land, sea, and air and space rescue craft. These are headed by a fleet of five vehicles named the Thunderbirds and launched, launched from International Rescue's secret base in the Pacific Ocean. The main characters are ex-astronaut Jeff Tracy, the founder of International Rescue, and his five adult sons who pilot the Thunderbird machines. Thunderbirds began its first run in the United Kingdom on the ITV network in 1965 and has since been broadcast in at least 66 other countries. Periodically repeated, it was adapted for radio in the early 1990s 
and has influenced many TV programs and other media, as well as inspiring various merchandising campaigns. The series has been followed by two feature-length film sequels, a live-action film adaptation, and a mimed stage show tribute. The second of two TV remakes, the computer-animated Thunderbirds Are Go, premiered in 2015 in honor of the original show's 50th anniversary. Widely considered to be the Andersons' most popular and commercially successful series, Thunderbirds has received particularly praise for its effects, directed by Derek Meddings and musical score, composed by Barry Gray. It is also well remembered for its title sequence, which opens with an often quoted countdown by actor Peter Donnelly, who voiced the character of Jeff. The countdown goes like this. Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. A real life rescue service, the International Rescue Corps, is named after the organization featured in the series. Set between the years 2065 and 2067, Thunderbird follows the exploits of the Tracy family, headed by American ex-astronaut turned multi-millionaire philanthropist Jeff Tracy. He is a widower with five adult sons, Scott, John, Virgil, Gordon, and Alan. The Tracys form International Rescue, a secret organization dedicated to saving human life. They are aided in this mission by technologically advanced land, sea, air, and space vehicles, which are called into service when conventional rescue techniques prove ineffective. The most important of these five machines named the Thunderbirds, each assigned to one of the five Tracy brothers. Thunderbird 1, a hypersonic rocket plane used for fast response and accident zone reconnaissance, piloted, piloted by primary rescue coordinator Scott Tracy. Thunderbird 2, a supersonic carrier aircraft that transports rescue vehicles and equipment to accident zones in detachable capsules known as pods, piloted by Virgil. Thunderbird 3, a single stage to orbit spacecraft, piloted alternately by Alan and John with Scott as a co-pilot. Thunderbird 4, a utility submersible, piloted by Gordon and normally launched from Thunderbird 2. Thunderbird 5, a space station that relays distress calls from around the world manned alternately by space monitors John and Alan. With the engineer Brains and Jeff's elderly mother, as well as the Malaysian manservant Kairano and his daughter Tintin, the family resides in a luxurious villa on Tracy Island. 
their hidden base in the South Pacific Ocean. In this location, international rescue is safe from criminals and spies who envy the organization's technology and seek to acquire the secrets of its machines. Despite its humanitarian principles, some of international rescue operations are necessitated not by misadventure, but deliberate sabotage motivated by greed for power and wealth. For missions that require criminal investigation, the organization incorporates a network of undercover agents headed by English aristocrat Lady Penelope Crichton Ward and her butler, Aloysius Parker. Based at the Crichton Ward mansion in Kent, Penelope and Parker's primary mode of transport is FAB-1, a specially modified Rolls-Royce. The most persistent of International Rescue's adversaries is the criminal known only as the Hood. Operating from a temple in the Malaysian jungle and possessing abilities of hypnosis and dark magic, he exerts a powerful telepathic control over Karano, his estranged half-brother, and manipulates the Tracys into missions that unfold according to his nefarious designs. This allows him to spy on the Thunderbird machines and, by selling their secrets, make himself rich. Thunderbirds was the fourth Super Marionation puppet TV series to be produced by APF, which was founded by the husband and wife duo of Gary and Sylvia Anderson with their business partners, Reg Hill and John Reed. Pitched in late 1963, the series was commissioned by Lou Grade of ITC, APF's parent company, on the back of the positive audience response to Stingray. Jerry Anderson drew inspiration for the series' underlying concept from the West German mining disaster known as the Wonder von Ligand, or the Miracle of Legend. On October 1963, the collapse of a nearby dam flooded an iron mine in the municipality of Ligand, killing 29 miners and trapping 21 others underground. Lacking the means to drill an escape shaft, the authorities were forced to requisition a heavy-duty bore from Bremen. The considerable time necessary to ship this device by rail had significantly reduced the chances of a successful rescue. Recognizing the advantages of swifter, swifter crisis response, Anderson conceived the idea of an international rescue organization that could use supersonic aircraft to transport specialized rescue equipment quickly over long distances. Seeking to distinguish his 26-episode proposal from APF's earlier productions, Anderson attempted to pitch stories at a level that would appeal to both adults and children. Whereas previous series had been shows during the late afternoon, Anderson wanted Thunderbirds to be broadcast in family-friendly primetime slot. Sylvia remembered that our market had grown and a 
Kidult show was the next step. The Andersons retired to their holiday villa in Portugal to expand the premise, script the pilot episode, and compose a scriptwriter's guide. According to Sylvia, the writing process depended on a division of labor, where Jerry created the action sequences while she managed characterizations. The decision to make a father and his sons the main characters was influenced by the premise of Bonanza, as well as Sylvia's belief that the use of more than one heroic character would broaden the series' appeal. The Tracy brothers were named after Mercury 7 astronauts, Scott Carper, John Glenn, Virgil Gus Grissom, Gordon Cooper, and Alan Shepard. The series' title was derived from a letter written by Jerry's brother, Lionel, while he had been serving overseas as an RAF flight sergeant during World War II. While stationed in Arizona, Lionel had made reference to the Thunderbird Field, a nearby United States Army Air Force base. Drawn to the punchiness of Thunderbirds, Anderson dropped his working title of International Rescue and renamed both the series and International Rescue Vehicles, which had previously been designated Rescues 1 to 5. His inspiration for the launch sequence of Thunderbirds 1, 2, 3 originated from contemporary United States Air Force launch procedures. Anderson had learned how the Strategic Air Command would keep its pilots on permanent standby, seated in the cockpits of their aircraft and ready for takeoff at a moment's notice. In the DVD documentary, The Thunderbird's Companion, Anderson explained how the rise in filming costs had made overseas distribution revenue even more important and essentially caused Thunderbirds to be made as an American show. During the character development and voice casting process, the Andersons' mainly main priority was to ensure that the series had transatlantic appeal thus increasing the chances of winning an American network deal and the higher audience figures that this market had to offer. Scripts were typed in American English and printed on U.S.-style quarto-sized paper. Thunderbirds was filmed at APF Studios at the Slough Trading Estates between 1964 and 1966. In preparation, the number of full-time crew was expanded to 100. Shooting began in September 1964, after five months of pre-production. Due to the new series' technical complexity, this was a period longer than for any of APF's earlier productions. To speed up the filming, episodes were shot in pairs at a rate of one per month on separate sound stages and by separate crews. By 1964, APF was the UK's largest commercial user of color film, consuming more than three million feet of stock per year. Alan Patillo, a veteran scriptwriter and director for APF, was appointed the company's first official script editor in late 1964. 
this move was aimed to reduce the burden on Gary Anderson, who, while reserving his producer's rights to overall creative control, had grown weary of revising scripts himself. Direction of episodes was assigned in pairs. Patillo and David Elliott alternated with the less experienced Desmond Saunders and newcomer David Lane for each month's filming. Due to the difficulties of setting up takes, progress was slow. Even on a productive day, it was rare for the crew to complete more than two minutes of puppet footage. In a contemporary interview, Hill noted that Thunderbirds contained several times as many shots as a typical live-action series. He explained that rapid editing was necessary on account of the character's lack of facial expressions, which made it difficult to sustain the viewer's interest for more than a few seconds per shot. After viewing the completed 25-minute pilot, Trapped in the Sky, Lou Grade was so impressed by APF's work that he instructed Anderson to double the episode length and increase the series budget per episode from $25,000 to $38,000. As a result, Thunderbirds became not only the company's longest and highest budgeted production, but also among the most expensive TV series that had been made up to that point. The crew had been filming at a rate of two 25-minute episodes per fortnight, faced significant challenges during the transition to the new format. Eight episodes had already been completed. Scripts for up to 10 more had been written. And substantial rewrites could, would be necessary to satisfy the longer running times. Anderson lamented, Our timescale was far too drawn out. ITC's New York office insisted that they should have one show every two weeks. Everything had to move at twice the speed. APF spent over seven months extending the existing episodes. Tony Barwick, who, impre who had impressed Patillo and the Andersons with an unsubmitted script that had written for Danger Man, was recruited to assist in the writing of subplots and filler material. He found that the longer format created opportunities to strengthen the characterization. Science fiction writer John Peel suggested that small character touches make, up, make the puppet cast of Thunderbirds much more rounded than those of earlier APF series. He compares the writing favorably to that of live-action drama. The new footage provided useful during the development of the first series finale, titled Security Hazard. Since the previous two episodes had overspent their budgets, Patillo devised a flashback-dominated clip show containing only 17 minutes of the new material to reduce costs. Filming of the Series 1 was completed in December of 1965. A second series was also commissioned late there, later that year and entered production in March 66. Barwick became a full-time member of the writing staff and took over the role of script editor from the outgoing Patio. The main puppet cast and vehicles were rebuilt. In addition, the art department expanded 
Some of the standing sets, including the Tracy's Villa Lounge and the Thunderbird 5 control room. To accommodate the simultaneous filming of TV series and Thunderbirds Are Go, APF purchased two more buildings on the Slough Trading Estates and converted them to new stages. As crew and studio space were divided between the two productions, filming of the TV series progressed at half the previous speed, as APF's B crew produced one episode per month. Filming on Thunderbirds Are Go was completed in June, allowing A crew to resume work on the series to shoot what would prove to be its penultimate episode, Ricochet. Production of the Thunderbirds ended in August 1966 with the completion of the sixth episode of Series 2. In February that year, it had been reported that Grade had been unable to sell the series to the United States due to disagreements over time slots. In July, he canceled Thunderbirds after failing in his second attempt to secure an American buyer. The three major U.S. networks of the time NBC, CBS, and ABC had all bid for the series with grade repeatedly increasing the price. When NBC withdrew its offer, the other two immediately followed. By the time of its cancellation, Thunderbirds had become wildly popular in the UK and was being distributed extensively overseas. Grade, however, believed that without financial boost of an American network sale, a full second series would fail to recover its production costs. He therefore asked Anderson to devise a new concept that he would hope would stand a greater chance of winning over the profitable U.S. market. This became Captain Star Scarlet and the Mysterions. Voice recording sessions were supervised by Patillo and Anderson with Sylvia Anderson in charge of casting. Dialogue was recorded once per month at a rate of two scripts per session. Supporting parts were not pre-assigned, but negotiated by the cast among themselves. Two recordings would be made at each session, one to be converted into electronic pulses for puppet filming, and the other to be added to the soundtrack during post-production. The tapes were edited at Gate Recording Theater in Birmingham. In the interest of transatlantic appeal, it was decided that the main characters would be mostly American, and therefore actors capable of producing an appropriate accent were used. British, Canadian, and Australian actors formed most of the voice cast. The only American involved was stage actor David Holliday, who was noticed in London's West End and given the part of Virgil Tracy. Following the completion of the first series, Holliday returned to the U.S. The character was voiced by English-Canadian actor Jeremy Wilkin for series two. British actor David Graham was among the first to be cast. He had previously voiced characters in Four Feather Falls, Supercar, Fireball XL5, and Stingray. Beyond the APF productions, he had supplied one of the original Dalek voices on Doctor Who. Cast alongside Graham was an Australian actor, Ray Barrett. 
Like Graham, he had worked for the Andersons before having voiced Titan and Commander Shore in Stingray. A veteran of radio drama, Barrett was a skilled at performing a range of voices and accents in quick succession. Villains of the week would typically be voiced by either Barrett or Graham. Graham, aware of the sense of political climate of the Cold War and not wishing to perpetuate the idea that Russia was the enemy with a whole new generation of children washing. Gary Anderson decided the hood voiced by Barrett should be oriental and placed his temple in a hideout in Malaysia to defy the viewer's expectation. Although Lady Penelope and Parker, Parker was voiced by Graham, were among the first characters developed, neither was conceived as a major role. Parker's Cockney manner was based on a waiter at a pub in Cockham that was sometimes visited by the crew. On Jerry Anderson's recommendation, Graham dined there regularly to study the accent. Anderson, first choice for the role of Penelope had been Fenelia Fielding, but Sylvia insisted she take the part herself. Her Penelope voice was intended to emulate Fielding and Joan Greenwood. On Penelope and Parker's secondary role as comic relief, Jerry explained, we British can laugh at ourselves, so therefore we had Penelope and Parker as this comedy team. And in America, they loved the British aristocracy too. As well as Jeff Tracy, English Canadian actor Peter Denley voiced the recurring character of Commander Norman, Chief of Air Traffic Control at London International Airport. His supporting character voices were typical of those of upper class Englishmen. Shane Rimmer, the voice of Scott, was cast on the strength of his performance on the BBC soap opera titled Compact. Meanwhile, fellow Canadian Matt Zimmerman was selected at a later stage in the process. The expatriate West End actor was given the role of Alan on the recommendations of his friend Holiday. They were having great difficulty casting the part of Alan as they wanted a certain sound for him being the youngest brother David, who was a bit older than I am, told them that he had a friend, me, who would be great. Christine Finn, known for her role in the TV series Quartermass and The Pit, provided the voices of Tintin and Grandma Tracy. With Sylvia Anderson, she was also responsible for voicing most of the female and child supporting actors. Other minor points were voiced by Charles Tingwell, Paul Maxwell, and John Tate, who were not credited for their contributions. The puppet stages used for the filming of Thunderbirds were only one-fifth the size of those used for a standard live-action production, typically measuring 12 by 14 by 3 meters in length, width, and height. Bob Bell, assisted by Keith Wilson and Grenville Knott, headed the art department for series one. During the simultaneous 
filming of Series 2 and Thunderbirds Are Go, the movie, in 1966. Bell attended mainly to the film, entrusting set design for the TV series to Wilson. Since it was necessary for the art department's interior sets to conform to the effects department's exterior plans, each team closely monitored the other's work. According to Sylvia Anderson's, Bell's challenge was to produce complex interiors on limited budget while resisting the effects department's push for more extravagant design. This task was complicated by the unnatural proportions of the puppets. Bell struggled to decide whether the set should be built to a scale proportionate to their bodies or their oversized heads and hands. He used the example of FAB1 to illustrate the problem. As soon as we position the puppet standing alongside the model, they look ridiculous as the car towered over them. He ultimately adapted a mix and match approach in which smaller items, such as tableware, were scaled to their hands and the furniture to their bodies. While designing the Creighton Ward mansion sets, Bell and his staff strove for authenticity, ordering miniature Tudor paintings, one-third scale Gregorian and Regency-style furniture, and carpeting in the shape of a polar bear skin. This realism was enhanced by adding scrap items acquired from household waste and electronic shops. For example, a vacuum cleaner pipe serves, serves as Virgil Tracy's launch suit. Shoot. The head puppet sculptor was Christine Glanville, who also served as the lead puppeteer. Glanville's four-person team built the 13 members of the main cast in six months at a cost between $250 and $300 per puppet. That would cost you around $4,500 to $5,500 today. Since pairs of episodes were being filmed simultaneously on separate stages, the characters needed to be sculpted in duplicate. Facial expressions were diversified by means of replaceable heads, as well as a head with a neutral expression. Each main character was given a smiler, a frowner, and a blinker. The finished puppets were approximately 22 inches tall, or one-third adult human height. The puppets were made up of more than 30 individual components, the most important of which was the solenoid that synchronized lip movement with the character's pre-recorded dialogue. This device was positioned inside the head unit, consequently torsos and limbs appeared relatively small. The puppet's likeness and mechanics are remembered favorably by puppeteer Wanda Brown, who preferred the Thunderbird marionettes over the accurately proportioned ones that first appeared in Captain Scarlet. She said, the puppets were easier to operate and more enjoyable because they had more character to them. Even some of the more normal-looking faces, such as Scott and Jeff, for me, had more character than the puppets in the series that came afterwards. 
Rimmer speaks positively of the puppets still being very much caricatures, since it made them look more lovable and appealing. There was a naive quality about them, and nothing too complex. The appearance of the main characters were inspired by those of actors and other entertainers, who were typically selected from show business directory spotlight. According to Glanville, as part of a trend away from the strong character of previous series, APS, APF was seeking more natural faces for the puppets. The face of Jeff Tracy was based on that of Lauren Green. Scott was based on Sean Connery, and Alan was based on Robert Reed. John on Adam Faith and Charlton Heston, and Brains on Anthony Perkins. Parker was, on, was based on Ben Warris. Sylvia Anderson brought the character of Penelope to life in a likeness as well as voice. After her test molds were rejected, sculptor Mary Turner decided to use Anderson herself as a template. Main character heads were initially sculpted in either plastine or clay. Once the general aspect had been finalized, this served as a template for a silicon rubber mold. This was coated with bond glass, which is fiberglass mixed with resin, and enhanced with a bond paste, a putty-like substance to actuate contours. The bond glass shell was then fitted with a solenoid, leather mouth parts, and plastic eyes, as well as incisor teeth a first for superior marination production. Puppets known as revamps, which had plastic heads, portrayed the supporting characters. These marionettes started their working lives with only a mouth and eyes. Their faces were remolded from one episode to the next. Particularly striking revamp molds were retained and, as their numbers increased, photographed to compile an internal casting directory. Wigs were made of mohair or, in the case of Penelope Puppet, human hair. Puppet bodies were built in three sizes. Large male, specifically for the Tracys in the hood. Small male and small female. Sylvia Anderson, the head costume designer, devised the main character's attire. To give the puppets increased mobility, the costume department generally avoided stiff, synthetic materials, instead working with cotton, silk, and wool. Between 1964 and 1966, the department's stock numbered more than 700 costumes. Each puppet's head was fitted with about 10 thin tungsten steel wires. During the filming, dialogue was played in the studio using modified tape recorders that converted the feed into electronic pulses. Two of the wires relayed these pulses to the internal celluloid, completing the superanimation process. The wires, which were sprayed black to reduce their visibility, were made even less noticeable through the application of powder paint that matched the background colors of the set. 
Glanville explained the time-consuming nature of this process. The puppeteers used to spend over half an hour on each shot getting rid of those wires, looking through the camera, puffing a bit more paint here, anti-flare there, and I mean it's very depressing when somebody will say to us, of course the wires showed. Positioned on an overhead gantry with handheld cruciform, the puppeteers coordinated movements with the help of a viewfinder-powered CCTV feedback system. As filming progressed, the crew started to disperse with wires and instead manipulate the puppets from the studio floor using rods. Due to their low weight and the fact that they only had one control wire per leg, the puppets were unable to walk convincingly. Therefore, scenes involving movements were filmed from the waist up, with a puppeteer holding the legs below the level of the camera and using a bobbin action to simulate motion. Alternatively, dynamic shots were eliminated altogether. In an interview with New Scientist, director of photography John Reed spoke of the advantages of circumventing the lack of agility so that the puppets appear, for example, to walk through doors, although the control wires make this impossible, or pick up a coffee cup, although their fingers are not, in fact, jointed. Live action shots of human hands were inserted whenever scripts called for a more dexterous actions to be performed. The effects for all the APF series from Supercar to UFO were directed by Derek Mettings, who later worked on the James Bond and Superman films. Knowing that Thunderbirds would be the biz biggest project AFP, APF would have worked on, Mettings found himself struggling to manage his workload with the single filming unit that had produced all the effects for Stingray. He therefore established a second unit under technician Brian Johncock and a third exclusively for filming airborne sequences. This expansion increased the number of APF crews and stages to five each. A typical episode contained around 100 effect shots. Metting's team completed up to 18 per day. In addition to the effects department was Mike Trim, who served as Metting's assistant in designing vehicles and buildings. Metting's and Trim jointly pioneered an organic design technique in which the exteriors of models and sets were customized with parts from model kits and children's toys. Models and sets were also dirtied down with powder paint or pencil lead to create a used look. Toy cars and vans were used in long shots, while scale vehicles were equipped with basic steering and suspension for added realism. Miniature fans and jet X pellets, which were capable of issuing, issuing air, jets, or chemical exhausts, were attached to the undersides to simulate dust trails. Another of Metting inventions was a closed cyclical effects stage nicknamed the Rolling Road, consisting 
of two or more loops of canvas running at different speeds. This device allowed shots of moving vehicles to be filmed on a static set to make a more efficient use of the limited studio space. Airborne aircraft sequences were mounted against a rolling sky with smoke fanned across to simulate passing clouds. One of Metting's first tasks was to shoot stock footage of the Thunderbird machines and the series' main locations, Tracy Island and Creighton Ward Mansion. The Finnish island model was a composite of more than a dozen smaller sets that could be detached from the whole and filmed separately. The architecture of the mansion was based on that of Stourhead House, located in Stourhead Estate in Wiltshire, in the absence of the head designer, Reg Hill, who was serving as associate producer. Meddings was further tasked with designing the Thunderbird fleet and FAB-1. Scale models for the six main vehicles were built by a contractor, master models of Middlesex. Models and puppet sets combined more than 200 versions of the Thunderbird machines were created for the series. During the design and filming process, Metting's first priorities were realism and credibility. With the exception of Thunderbird 5, each vehicle was built in three or four scales. Metting's swing wing concept for Thunderbird 1 was inspired by his wish to create something more dynamic than a fixed wing aircraft. He remained unsatisfied with the prototype of Thunderbird 2 until he inverted the wings, later commenting, at the time, all aircraft had swept back wings. I only did it to be different. This decision was made out of a personal preference and was not informed by any expert knowledge on Metting's part. He describes the Thunder 2 Thunderbird 2 launch as probably the most memorable sequence that his team devised for APF Productions. His largest model of Thunderbird 3, whose design was based on the Soviet Soyuz rocket, was six feet tall. Thunderbird 4 was particularly difficult to film as the scale of the model did not correspond to the water inside the shooting tank creating camera angles and rapid editing were used to produce a sense of realistic perspective. Thunderbird 5 was the most difficult vehicle for Meddings to visualize, was based on the Tracy Island Roundhouse. Since most of the space station's appearance were provided by stock footage, the model was rarely filmed. Pod vehicles were designed on an episode-by-episode -episode basis and built from balsa wood. To save time, the costs other minor vehicles were built in-house from radio-controlled model kits. As the puppets of Lady Penelope and Parker needed to fit inside, the largest of all the models was the 7-foot FAB, which cost around $2,500 back then which be worth about $46,000 today to build. 
The Rolls-Royce name and color were both chosen by Sylvia Anderson. Rolls-Royce Limited supervised the construction of the plywood model and supplied APF with an authentic radiator grill for close-up shots of the front of the car. In exchange for its cooperation, the company requested that the spirit of ecstasy be fixed to the chassis and to the characters were afforded avoid referring to the brand with the abbreviation such as Rolls. Scale explosions were created using substances such as Fuller's Earth, Petrogel, magnesium strips, and Cortex explosives. Originally filmed at up to 120 frames per second, they were slowed down to 24 frames per second during post-production to increase their apparent magnitude and length. Gunpowder canisters were ignited to create rocket jets. The wires that electronically fired the rockets also allowed a member of the crew holding a cruciform and positioned on an overhead gantry to fly the model over the set. By far the most unwieldy model was Thunderbird II, which Meddings remembered as being awful to fly. A combination of unreliable rockets and weak firing frequently cause problems. Should the former be slow to ignite, the current quickly caused the latter to overheat and snap, potentially damaging the model and even setting fire to the set. Conditions above the studio floor were often dangerous due to the heat and smoke. Although many of the exhaust sound effects were used in the series were drawn from an audio library. Some were specially recorded during a Red Arrows display at RAF Little Risington in Gloucestershire. By 1966, Metting's commitments were split between Series 2 and Thunderbirds Are Go. While Metting's worked on the film, camera operator Jimmy Elliott assumed the responsibility of directing the TV effects. By this stage, the basic frame of Thunderbird II had been damaged so many times that the model had to be needed to be rebuilt from scratch. Meddings was displeased with the result, reflecting that the replacement was not only the wrong color, but a completely different shape. I never felt our model makers managed to recapture the look of the original. Critic David Garland suggests that the challenge facing the Thunderbirds effects department was to strike a balance between the conventional science fiction imperative of the futuristic and the seeping hyper-realist concerns mandated by Anderson's approach to the puppets. Thunderbirds had been praised for the quality of its effects. Writers consider the model work uniformly impressive. According to the Guinness Book of Classic British TV, the effects are way beyond anything seen on TV previously. Impressed by their work on Thunderbirds, film director Stanley Kubrick hired several members of Metting's staff to supervise the effects of shooting for the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey. The series title sequence, storyboard by Jerry Anderson, 
is made up of two parts. It opens with a countdown of five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go, provided by Denali in character as Jeff Tracy. In a departure from the style of Stingray, the Thunderbirds title sequence varies with each episode. The first part consists of an action montage that serves as a preview of the plot. Simon Archer and Marcus Hearn, biographers of Gary Anderson, compare this device favorably to a film trailer. Your journey is now ending. the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.